Hello and welcome to the show. We have a full-on legend on the program today. But uh, before we get to our guest, if you could just do me a real quick favor and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen or watch, that would help me out a lot. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or if you're on a computer, and if you can write me a review of the show, uh, the link to the Apple Podcast is in the show notes. That would also help me immensely. Now, uh, my guest today is Roger Earl. He's the drummer and founding member of the band Foghat. If you don't know Foghat, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. They are one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Their hit song, Slow Ride, is, I mean, it's a full-on masterpiece. It's easily one of the greatest 70s rock songs of all time. And VH1 called it the 45th best hard rock song of all time. Um, So even beyond the 70s, beyond decades, it's just a great rock song one of the greatest of all time ever. So that song, along with some other hits that they've had, have been featured in tons of movies and TV shows. And of course, the band has played everywhere, and they're still kicking with a new lineup as Roger is the only surviving founding member. But a lot of great stuff in this episode. Roger is funny. He has great stories, and I think you'll enjoy this. Welcome, the legend, Roger Earl, drummer of Foghat, formerly Savoy Brown, and also Earl and the Agitators. I think that's what is that what it's called? Yeah, Earl and the Agitators. Yeah, that um, that came from uh, one time when we were drinking a bunch of wine one night. But uh... <laughs> your own wine, because you guys have your own wine brand, which I thought was really cool. Foghat Cellars. Uh, yeah, uh, wine has always been uh, Foghat's beverage of choice. Um, hold on a second. What's this? Can we get rid of this screen here? I can't see anything. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's always, always been uh, our beverage of choice, and about I think our first wine was two thousand and five. All our all our wines come from uh, the west coast of California, central coast actually. Um, we've actually, you know, make uh, like our two thousand and ten uh, Chardonnay and Pinot. We actually made ourselves, you know, pick the grapes and everything. We have a winemaker, wow. um, Steve Rasmussen who's uh, well-known in California. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, actually. Actually, That's... I love working with the farmers. They're very uh, hardworking, generous to a fault, these people. Really? Uh, How's, what yeah, do you mean, generous to a fault? Well, you know, you go there and they say, have some wine, have some food. <laughs> and, and one of the really interesting things I found with um, basically, you know, the farmers and the people who uh, work with the grapes, is that there any knowledge they have about you know what's go, what's working well with you know weather or what what grapes are going well or if there's any kind of blight they share the knowledge. Whereas in other businesses, uh, it's like oh no, you can't see that. No, you can't see you know. They, yeah, they, they, that's they a good point. Up. Yeah, because whenever you go to a winery, they always give you a tour and they show you how they make it and all the yeah. yeah. That's true. No, it's um, it was a lot. Uh, I enjoy it. It's um, it was. Uh, it was a big learning curve, uh, but it was a lot of fun. You know, you get out there in the fields and pick the grapes, uh, and the people who actually work picking the grapes. Now they're workers. These folks work really hard. That's a tough I, job, yeah. Uh, I, I was out there a couple of times, and uh, I had to take a break long before they did. So. Uh, oh, for sure, yeah. But it's um, it was exciting. I enjoyed doing it. We haven't done anything recently because, well, COVID, of course, you know, put a dent in just about everybody's life, some one way or another. But um, yeah, uh, so you find yourself you're still able to 
to drink wine? Because I mean, a lot of the rock stars that I talk to, they they cut out booze completely. Like they just or, you know, do you have to slow down a little bit or can you still party like a rock star? Slowing down. That's I mean, whatever you're doing is working. You look great. You look young. You look healthy. So what I am is because I drink wine. (laughs) Hey, they do say it helps your heart, right? Yeah, I read somewhere that red wine was good for you. Shouldn't have told me that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they didn't say how much. They just said it's good. So if it's good, I mean, it's like eating your vegetables. You're supposed to eat a lot of them, right? You know, actually, I, actually, I don't. Uh, there's a Rodney Crowell song that we're going to be trying doing on our next album. One of the lines in it is, "I don't drink as much as I ought to." <laughs> That's crazy. So I've heard a lot of, of your interviews. A lot of people ask you. Hopefully, I'm not too derivative, but uh, I I have not heard too many people ask you about this. You tried out for Jimi Hendrix. Tell yeah. tell my listeners that story because I know. I mean, I didn't hear too many interviews where you talked about that, so I know my listeners haven't heard that story. Uh, uh, Jimmy was uh, a beautiful man. Um, actually, it was in 1960, 66, 67. He'd just come to England. How old were you at this time? Uh, 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 I'm 75 now, so it was 1966, 67. Tw- uh, I was 20 years old, I think. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Chess Chandler, his manager, uh, put a band together when I was 18 years old. We didn't play out or anything, but he put this band together. And I, uh, and so he had my phone number. And uh, I was working as a commercial artist up in central London. And he called me up and said, have you heard of this guy, Jimi Hendrix, which we all had, but nobody had actually seen him other than Eric Clapton and Jeff and uh, Pete Townsend. They were all raving about him. So... Uh, I borrowed my father's car, drove up to central London, and uh, he was in a club called, it was midday, in, just off Piccadilly Circus. I lost your audio. You lost my audio? Oh, you're back now. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Oh, I'm back now. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, it's called Birdland. And Birdland, of course, yeah. as usual, uh, it was raining outside. And uh, everybody's in line waiting for this club to open. It was about it was one o'clock midday, and uh, Jimmy comes up and, uh, and maybe he talked to somebody else, but he came up to me and started talking about songs he'd written the night before. Uh, you know, very real friendly guy. Anyway, we go, we actually get in there, and I set my drums up. There was a, about three or four drummers before me, and uh, he started playing. I had no clue what was going on. Because this is revolutionary music. No one's heard this kind of shit before, right? Right. He was like playing like beautiful sounds. He had a Marshall stack. Um, And after about 10 minutes or so, I was trying to sort of figure out what to do. And then he played, um, I think he played a Chuck Berry song. I knew how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then he played like a slow blues, and, he, and then I think he played like um, uh, played a Bob Dylan song. I think I was actually played with him for about forty-five minutes, the best I recall. Um, he was very generous with his time. Um, I didn't think I was all that good, uh, you know. I didn't. I didn't think I had the gig anyway because uh, uh, actually he picked the right drummer. Uh, eventually, uh, he was uh, fantastic. I did get a chance to jam with him um, 
I came over to the States with Savoy Brown in 67, 68. And uh, th- there was a club in New York, Steve Paul's scene. I got up and jammed one time and he was playing there. Uh, and there was a club on the West Coast. I got up one time. I think Eric Burden was singing. You know, it was oh. just one of those jam nights. And I don't, it's a little hazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the wine. That'll do it for you. Yeah. Uh, something anyway that's um, cool though that's wow not very many people can say that they played with Jimi hendrix that's pretty amazing it was uh it was a sad day when we lost him he was he was by all accounts a beautiful man and absolutely brilliant musician i mean he changed the world as for guitar players and what you could do or couldn't do um you know there have been a number of guitar players who've uh, adopted you know part of his style but Jimmy was unique, and to be unique in a world of guitars, I think is uh, yeah, he was special. Was yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah, he ended up joining um, Savoy Brown. Oh, but I think before that, you played on Mungo Jerry's album, and then um, did you play on uh, Mick Jagger's brother's album? I didn't know his brother had a. This is something I'm learning. Chris Jagger. Yeah, Chris. Has, Chris has a band now uh, called Atcha. Okay. Uh, because my brother played uh, a festival. My brother plays piano oh. uh, about four or five years ago. And Chris was on the bill and he talked to Colin and said, uh, yeah, say hello to Rog. Apparently, he had to give me some Mandrex one time when we were doing the session because I was playing too fast. <laughs> some what? What did they give you? <laughs> gave me a Mandrex. What's we that? Were recording, uh, um, his brother's uh, house in uh, near Marlborough in uh, – or is it just south of uh, Oxfordshire, in Oxfordshire, south of that? And uh, apparently I was playing too fast. Hey, I'm a rock and roller. And uh, what Chris, you do. Chris was a real talent. It was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. So anyway, so then you, you joined Savoy Brown. They're very popular. Uh, you know, you guys are doing well in that band, but you and Dave decide to leave because you weren't really getting paid your fair share for the writing royalties and the doing the shows. Right. So that's kind of a ballsy move though, because you're taking a chance to, to jump ship. Right. Or did you feel like you guys uh, had the talent? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of strange what it was. Um, we would get, we were getting paid a hundred dollars a week, um, which at the time was okay, but the band was getting between 10 and $15,000 a show. And we we were working seven days a week. If there was a day off, it was because we had to travel somewhere. Yeah, uh, I'm still good friends with Kim Simmons, um, real good friends. But is but the manager of the band, Harry, was uh, anyway. They had a new record deal coming up, and they uh, the bass player got fired. They asked Dave and I to stay, but we we had to do certain things, and we said, look. Um, you know, we'll stay with you until you put a new band together. Um, but, you know, basically we're going to leave. So that manager, Harry, who's no longer with us, said uh, the following morning, Dave and I had breakfast with him. And he said that we'll never work again in the States or in England and it will stop us from working. So uh, yeah, he wasn't a particularly pleasant person, but he was a struggle <laughs> for us. Yeah. But, uh, I say stuff like that. But yeah. Because. I've remained good friends over the years. That's good. Uh, yeah. And in fact, he played on our last studio album, uh, Under oh. the Influence. 
Okay, uh, yeah, I listened to some of that. Said that's the one where you've got like the you're hitting the uh, wine barrels and the records are coming out. That's a cool album cover. Right. Hold on a second. I think I got it here. There we go. There we go. Yeah, or kicking it. Sorry, not hitting it. Yeah, that's so cool. That's such a cool album cover. Yeah, my my uh, football talents aren't quite as good as they used to be. In fact, I was never all that good actually. But you I'm love soccer. You're a big soccer fan. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. only one team in London: Arsenal. Arsenal. Okay. So, yeah. so anyways, yeah, you guys, uh, you, so then you guys, uh, formed fog hat and everyone knows the story about how the name came up. It was a basically a made up word from the Scrabble game. But what I didn't understand was the first two albums and maybe you, I'm sure you've probably explained this before, but I couldn't find it. Why are the first two albums both self-titled? That seems a little confusing. I've never seen that before. Uh, we were easily confused back then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the second one, people refer to that as rock and roll because that's also a brilliant album cover. It's so simple. It's a rock and a bread roll. And it's like, okay, clearly this is rock and roll. Like, it's really smart, but uh, you, it, you still titled it just Fog Hat. Uh, right. Well, actually, the, the uh, idea for the album cover came from Robert Downey Sr., Robert Downey's father, who was a film producer. Really? Producing, yeah, like... Um, they're sort of underground classics, uh, Grease's Palace and some other stuff. They were interesting movies. But our manager at the time was also a fan of Robert Downey Sr. And we sent him out the first album and some of the tracks from the second album and asked him if he could design an album cover. But he sent a back a black and white picture of a rock and a roll, which I thought was really cool. But yeah. uh, our record company and in their infinite wisdom said, no, you can't have black and white covers. It has to be color. Oh, so so we got a bagel uh, and, and a bun and a lump of coal. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So and then the first two albums, and then you do Energized, and I think that was the first. No, I'm sorry, Rock and Roll Outlaws was the first one produced by Nick Jameson. And I realized Jameson, sorry, I realized um, when I was listening to Slow. That's what made me think about interviewing you because I was listening to Slow Ride on the radio. And I was like, what is it about this song? It's like the prominent bass lines. The, the arrangement of the song is so brilliant. It starts off with yeah. your drums and then the riffs and the vocals, like everything is so amazing. It's like, and I think that that's got to be at least partially credited to Nick for the arrangement of it. But the fascinating thing about him is that he's so brilliant. And then he leaves the music business to go on to be an actor and, and uh voiceovers. Does that surprise you when he, doesn't he miss music at all? Cause I thought people that were really good at music, like that's like their life and their passion and they don't ever leave it. Nick is one of those multi-talented people. Don't you hate people like that? Yes. They do anything and everything. Great. Yes. I hate people that, like that. You're that, right. That's, that's Nick Jameson. Um, and when he, uh, when he joined the band, uh, he and I were, he was, um, the engineer at Bearsville records up in upstate New York near, uh, Woodstock at the time. He was the chief engineer there at the time. And yes, we worked with him. And I was living up there. And Nick and I would go out and jam at the various clubs up there from time to time. And we used to play badminton together. We used to hang out. Um, it was a brilliant man. And we're still very good friends. And uh, he can do everything. He plays guitar, plays piano, he sings. Um, he's a comedian. I mean, he's very, very funny. Uh, he has a stage act. Uh, he does voiceovers. He acts. 
And, yeah, he's the uh, Russian president from 24, for people who don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, a lo- that's a pretty big role. I think, he, I think he had to drink vodka for that role. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, uh, yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, I talked to him two days ago. He, he's living in Iceland now. Uh, he's developing um, a stage act. Uh, comedy is his... Um, main thing i think he loves comedy he, he still plays uh, he still writes but um he's uh very very funny in fact we've uh he put again he played on that last album uh last studio album under the influence under the influence yeah based on the track oh, okay uh, um yeah brilliant and in fact yes he did he arranged slow ride actually slow ride came from a a jam rod price and our original uh, lead and slide guitar player. We shared a house out on Long Island at the, at the time, and uh, we'd had the basement um, soundproofed. Nick had just joined the band, so we drove down from Woodstock, and uh, we just started playing. Uh, it, basically, Slow Ride is a John Lee Hooker riff, but instead of playing it as a shuffle, it's played like a 4-4 time, and uh, we just jammed it. Nick arranged the song and uh we didn't actually do the breakdown the drum and uh bass breakdown at, at back then but we did we played it and said this is what we'll do there and then at the after after the session dave said most of dave said i've got some words to fit that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and but a lot of our, our songs came came from jams initial thing occasionally um like uh fall for the city dave had all the lyrics Nick actually arranged that song, but Rob Price had the music already done. So that's um, a great song too. Yeah, yeah Folkhead always uh, functioned as a band. Um, it was never just one thing. It was rarely just one song, and it was played the way the person who brought it to the band. The whole band uh, had uh, input as far as arrangement and, and and approach. It still does today. We're we're the same. Uh, yeah. It was always a band. It was never just about one person. That's really cool. And so you mentioned John Lee Hooker and that, that riff. Now, you said one of the highlights of your career was getting to jam with him and Muddy Waters and all these blues yeah. legends in uh, New York in 1977. Talk about that. That was, uh, that was a highlight. Um, actually, it was my father's 60th birthday, and I brought them over from England. Oh. Um it was something that we wanted to do. Dave and I especially uh, were huge blues fans. And it came, actually, it was, I think it was our publicist at the time suggested it. And so uh, we rented the, it was called the Palladium back then in New York City. Um, we, we, everybody got paid except us, which was fine. We had far too much money anyway, didn't know what to do with it. I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was, it was beautiful. Uh, Eddie Bluesman Kirkland was an absolute highlight. Uh, playing Muddy was just this beautiful gentleman. And like, you know, one of the cool things about Muddy Waters was, you know, when you meet one of your heroes, they're probably far, what's the word? I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Muddy was just this beautiful man. And like, they don't let you down. Because, you know, you admire them so much and they're like this real gentleman and just like beautiful to play with. And uh, it was really cool. I also met 
Woody Dixon, who uh, wrote I Just Want to Make Love to You. Right. Stuff, yeah, your cover, the you cover song. Yeah. And he was the same, just this really cool, beautiful man. And uh, Isn't he really tall, too? He's like six foot six or something? He was, he was six foot six. He was a big man. He was a giant amongst men. Um, in fact, um, I, I met him. Uh, we met him uh, in Chicago where he lived. And, uh, in fact, he invited us over his house. We went over to his house one evening, myself, Rod, and Dave. And we were there till like four o'clock in the morning, eating and listening to music. And I remember one thing he every throughout the evening, he would send one of his children up to the attic of his house. It's on the, it was on the South side of Chicago and uh, to bring down records that he'd uh, produced. So Dave and Rod, especially Dave was a record collector at the time. And he'd be drooling over these 78s that his kids would bring down that were like not available to anybody. But, uh, yeah, Willie was uh, a brilliant man. That's so cool that you can when you can meet your heroes and like you said yeah. they they're so nice and many of the people I've interviewed 150 episodes are so down to earth. But I did hear this. This was so interesting to me um, when you when I heard you talking about Eddie Kramer and there was rumors that oh you know maybe things didn't go so well and somebody just flat out asked you hey what do you think of working with Eddie Kramer? This is a legendary producer, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. You flat out said he's an asshole. <laughs> He was an arsehole. Um, what, <laughs> Still what makes me laugh. Offensive about the man was he the way he berated and treated the other engineers. Right, we were working. We we were we had the uh, this is when we were doing the Stone Blue album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we rent, we rented uh, the Woolworth Mansion out here on Long Island, and we had the Stones. Uh, no, the RCA mobile unit, and uh, he would turn up late with his dog, and and then he would berate. Uh, the engineers and and it wasn't nothing was ever their fault. It was always Eddie's. And uh, did you he, say he uh, fell asleep in the studio sometimes too? Yeah, he was not out in the studio. I, I don't I didn't think we were a boring band, but maybe we were. Do you think he was it, on it, drugs or something? Or like that sounds like the no. behavior of someone who's like taking pills or something. No, no, um, I don't think so. He's just an I, asshole I, I sober. Didn't get that impression. He okay, was just an asshole. Okay, uh, but he did make some great records. Um, then you know. Yeah, do you think the tension helped that album? Because I mean, there is some good music on that on that album, even. Oh, well, I mean, the, for me, the idea of a producer is to become the fifth, if you're a four piece band, he's the fifth member. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't work with Eddie. The reason I think we got the record sound is so great was the band was playing great. Uh, in fact, uh, we fired Eddie after uh we finished the recording and uh the band mixed it itself though um i think uh another engineer is credited with it the band mm. actually mixed it we were mm. on the road and after we do shows we go to a local studio and mix it um it worked out all right and i'm sure eddie kramer is doing fine yeah yeah i'm sure for sure i'm sure he's got plenty of money um and speaking of money you guys must make a lot of money off the uh, movie and tv credits that you have i looked it up you have 59 we can't go through them all 59 but most of the notable ones like the days and confused soundtrack and then you, you appear, your songs appear in seinfeld dexter sopranos family guy i mean those are like big shows do you and do you do you know when it's going to be on because i talked to somebody and they said yeah i didn't know my song was going to be in this show until somebody told me about it like they don't ask for your permission it goes to a record company or something so they don't tell you before right no, not usually. No, it's um, uh, that is an interesting. You know, I received checks from time to time. Go, 
what's this? But my manager is uh, up on all that stuff and she takes care of it. Actually, we only have, um, I'm not being sexist or anything, but we only have women running our our uh, office and our band. Uh, we're not on the, on the road, but we have a, a girl who does our uh, merchandise, but we only have women running. The, our manager's a woman, our bookkeeper's a woman, uh, our uh, right hand is a woman. Do you know another band that only has women running their show? No. The Rolling Stones. Really? <laughs> in- why do you think that is? Are, are women just more interested in doing that kind of job? Or like, that's kind of an interesting... Yeah, well, um, or do you think you people trust women more? Because some of those men can be men can be assholes, and they can try to take your money. Yeah. And yeah, I think um, it's worked for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, obviously, it works for the Rolling Stones. But, yeah, um, um, I don't know. It uh, the people that were running out, you know, everything works well. There's never any issues, and if there is, it gets sorted out. We don't no testosterone gets in, you know, in the way that we save that for the stage. That's good. Uh, Yeah. So tell me about the new band that you have. I mean, it's really an all star band that you've got. You've got uh, Brian. Is it Bassett on lead guitar? He was with Wild Cherry and Molly Hatchet. Then Charlie Hun or Hoon? Hoon. Hoon on lead guitar and lead vocals. He was with Ted Nugent, Gary Moore, Humble Pie, and then Rodney O'Quinn on bass who played yeah. with Pat Travers. And I listened to the the songs that like the, uh, the one track that I uh, was able to hear eight days on the road, you guys redid that live. It sounds amazing. I mean, the band sounds really tight. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, actually I was, I was talking to somebody the other day and I, throughout my whole career of like of, of playing, I've always played with what I consider great musicians. And I think that's yeah. always helped my, uh, it lifts your game, you know, when you're playing with somebody that's really good. Like we were talking about Nick Jameson, the man's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I probably learned more about uh, making records and actually playing from him than just about anybody. But, um, yeah, uh, it's, that's one of the joys of making music when we we all get on really well. Actually, this band's been together. Like Brian's been with us 24 years, 25 years. Charlie's been with us 20, 21 years. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're a band that we can all sort of read each other and we talk about stuff, but we don't want to do a song or there's something that's bothering us. And I'd usually try and record, uh, shows on a regular basis just to make sure everybody's, you know, on the same page as far as tempos, youthful experience, uh, yeah, youthful experience. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A little faster, Rog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we get, we get on great. We're, we're friends as well. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. So I had, um, I don't know if you remember this guy, but I had comedian Nick Hoff on the show a few weeks ago and you guys played, this is so interesting. You played a, like a giant outdoor amphitheater with Eddie money. It was either Eddie money or Marshall Tucker band. And it was like Jeff Foxworthy and Larry, the cable yeah. guy comedians are like, they, they intermingle these like comedians with the musicians that what is now I got Nick's, I, uh, you know, side of that. Like, what's that like as a comedian? What is it like as a musician when half the people are there to see a comedian? And then he said like some of the people leave after the comedians and some leave after the bands. And uh, actually, well, when we played with Jeff and Larry, the cable guy, it was uh Jeff Foxworthy and uh, Larry, the cable guys backyard barbecue. Yeah, it was, it was a riot. We had so much fun. Larry was learning to play drums. I offered to give him <laughs> a pair of drumsticks. But they would come up on stage and jam with us. 
and seeing uh, our bass player Rodney O'Quinn uh, would get up with uh, Jeff Foxworthy and like do uh, one-liners and like get in on the comedy act. It was fun. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. You're supposed to enjoy it. I mean, we're serious about, you know, our playing and stuff, but, you know, making music is uh, is enjoyable. And comedy is like, you know, if you can't laugh or have some fun, life is going to be very dull. Yeah, well, that's what Nick said. He goes, you got to get the, the drummer. He, you got to get him on the show. He's hilarious. He's so funny. He said you're <laughs> joking around about how you're the only surviving member of the original Foghat left. And then all your your mates left you. They all went to the sky, and he's and he's just like cracking up about how you're making a joke about all this. But there's got to be a little bit of pain behind that too. I mean, that is kind of weird that that I mean, I'm looking at the the other members and like they all died too young. It makes me mad. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, a bass player died. What Craig uh, died? Was it two, three years ago? Uh, Craig and I, Craig McGregor, were, you know, we were really close. Um, but rhythm sections are like that, you know, where we sort of, you, you have to lock. Yeah, you know, you gotta, for sure. You lock. Um, yeah, um, it, it was, it's tough, but you have to, you know, you have to carry on. Um, you know, I remember going to uh, Dave's funeral down in Florida and his wife was ill as well at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and Linda, that was his wife's name, asked me to get up and, and, and talk about Dave, you know, because we've known each other for since 1967, 68. And, uh, it, you know, as, as sad as it was, I had to bring the best out of what I knew about Dave. Mm. So I started telling the funny side of Dave, the, the side that made, and then we had, people laughing and crying all at the same time so it was it was it was sad but you have to i think you have to talk about people in in the bright light in the in the upside of their lives and not you know everybody was sad that he died and it uh, from cancer kidney cancer mm-hmm. but it was uh, i tried to lift it up and i think it worked yeah so i know you got to get probably get going here in a minute but real quick can you tell us a funny story about dave that you remember <laughs> Uh, I can't tell that one. Uh, Why not tell that one? That's the one you should tell. I can't tell that one either. And no, he wouldn't want us to tell that one. Damn it. (laughs) I want the good ones that you don't tell anyone else. It's just me and you. Dave was a a very, very quiet person. He was uh, very, but was, um, he was an encyclopedia on music, you know, uh, as far as jazz, blues, rock and roll, uh, country and western, um, you know, he had it was a whole font of knowledge. Um, that was a cool thing about him. Uh, I remember the last tour we did. And if, oddly enough, it, we got I think on the last tour that we did together it was a bus tour. We got probably got closer than we ever had. We always got on fine anyway. But um, after the show, we would sit on the bus and uh, we'd have some wine and stuff. And uh, Dave would say, so what do you want to hear tonight? Because he was like the resident G- DJ in the band. Mm-hmm. So he'd, he'd have um, tapes of, you know, the Beach Boys, the Beatles, um, whoever, the, the blues artists. And it, it was like, what, are we, what session are we going to have tonight? Um, yeah, it was. I miss him. But uh, 
you know, my job is to carry on playing. Yeah, well, you're doing a great job. Like I said, the band sounds great. People need to check it out. The the new, uh, it's a new live 14 track uh, performance called Eight Days on the Road. Uh, it comes out July 16th. So I don't know if when, when people are listening to this, but it's it'll be out soon so people can download that. And if it's past July 16th, they can already buy it. Is that the cover? That's the cover. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, look, look, hold on. I see. It's a double. Oh, it's two CDs. Yeah, two CDs. And a DVD, right? And a DVD. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of pictures on here as well. You can uh, see the pictures. You'll need a magnifying glass because they're small. Oh. But, um, I, I was I was really pleased with the uh, album. We I, I didn't even know it was uh, we were going to record that night, but the, it was a Daryl's House Club upstate New York. Yeah, Daryl uh, Hall from Hall Notes. Right, that's yeah. right. Uh, normally we don't play a small venue, but it came up. And we, we had a, it was a four day run. We had a sprinter band. So, uh, whenever we got shows, we within 300 miles of each other, we'd have a van. Otherwise we fly everywhere. Um, and it was, we got there and they have this incredible recording studio on the side of the stage. They had a five camera shoot and lights. And it's like four maniacs playing in your living room. Yeah. Right up against the stage. And in fact, as we took the stage to start playing, People right up the front of the stage are still finishing their dinner and having their drinks. And I went over to some people and I said, you know, this is a rock and roll band. You know, we sweat a lot. You might want to finish your dinner. And they said, <laughs> we, know, I said we know who you are. We're ready. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's yeah. awesome. So that'll come out soon. And then um, I like to end each episode with a charity. Is there a charity or nonprofit that you like to promote? Yes, yeah, St. Jude's Hospital. In fact, um, my... Uh, I, I endorse uh, DW Drums now, but I used to work with uh, Ludwig Drums. Mm. Um, and I'm still really good friends with Bill Ludwig. Uh, he has a new uh, brand out. Um, but I'm selling my last uh, Ludwig kit, which is two 26-inch bass drums, all big drums, two rack toms, two floor toms. But I'm uh, St. Jude's Hospital is the one charity that i would give to and do anything for there i mean they do everything for the children they the parents don't have to pay i mean the you know when when you've grown and you had a chance to live life and you get ill and it's your time or whatever it's okay but it's a sin as far as i'm concerned that children don't have a chance to live and saint jude's hospital do incredible work and the parents and the children don't have to worry about the cost. So I'm going to uh, put this uh, my, that drum kit up for auction and all, all the proceeds will go to St. Jude's Hospital. I'll probably put some symbols in there as well. Okay, great. Well, I will put but all the... St. Jude's Hospital is, is the one charity that I, I believe in and trust. And the people there, the doctors do great work. Yeah, no, I've had a lot of people promote that one. I like it. So great, great yeah. choice. Uh, great band. I, I look forward to hopefully seeing a show at some point. I've never seen you guys live. I'm like, I better do Boy, this. You have to come and see us, man. Yeah. Because, you know, we're getting old. We're not going to be around much longer. <laughs> no, you you, you got like the, the, I mean, you have a somehow a beaten this, uh, this, this thing called life. Like you're, you're living great. You look great. You're still drinking wine. Like you seem as healthy as a horse. So I'm thinking another. Uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, as like the Rodney Krause song goes, I don't drink as I don't drink as much as I ought to. Right. But, uh, no, uh, music keeps you young. 
uh, you know, I, I exercise, I stretch, I ride my bike when I can. And music is, uh, you know, music is my life. It's something that I've been fortunate to do uh, and I've been successful at it. And I'm a happy bastard. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, no, you definitely, that's the, that's the key is the happiness. So keep it up. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, Roger. I'll talk to you later. It's my, it's my pleasure. Thank All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, this was such a fun episode. I only wish that we had more time so that I could ask Roger about shaving his mustache, fishing, living on a houseboat. Uh, I had a lot of other questions, but hopefully we can have him on the show again. Uh, make sure to follow Foghat on social media and check their website, which is in the show notes. Uh, you can check that for tour dates. They have merchandise on there, merchandise on there, including their uh, latest CD, DVD, Eight Days on the Road. Uh, plus, you can buy their wine, which is pretty cool, and I think it would make a great gift. My website is on the show notes as well. I don't sell anything, uh, but it has links to all my social media and all my other episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out some of my other interviews like with Don McLean or Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad. And if you want to support the show, your likes, shares, and comments can go a long way. Um, and also, like I said earlier, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want to go that extra mile, you can write me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Just click the link in the show notes and scroll all the way down to the bottom. Uh, those Apple Podcast reviews really help the algorithm so that people can find the podcast. And uh, many of you have already done these things to support me. And I want you to know that it means the world to me and I appreciate you so much. So have a great day. And remember, shoot for the moon.